and bouts of scratting, spitting, botting, and he had to be... What, what's scratting? <laughs> I was going to cut that out. I mean, is that, is that the rat from Ice Age? Right. The squirrel. Yes, I mean, it is. Is, it, is it a new form of praise and worship that you've discovered? <laughs> it's the heavy metal worship variety. You know, you know what's like scatting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just screaming. It's just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry, Tessa. You were on, you were on such a roll, and I was such a dick. Oh, no. Uh, oh, i got to breathe for a minute. Because this episode... That's the intro right there. Yeah, it is. We got stopped on the street by a school bus, and he opened the door, the driver did, and said, Hey, rabbits all the way down. Loved it. So Really? Yeah. And then took wow. off. He was like, okay. Wow. Okay. He, he knows who he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he knows who he is. Let's so. just go ahead and get this out of the way. The things that you are going to hear tonight in this episode, you cannot unhear. Right. That goes without saying. The listener discretion is highly, highly, highly advised. Because this stuff is, it's a little graphic. <laughs> it is a listener requested? It is listener requested. Mine's not. Nobody asked for this. Well, they asked for specifically just dark stuff. Dark oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you're getting it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we specifically said dark and spooky. It's a topic that we can take and run. I have yeah. to credit my fiance's nephew for bringing this one to my attention oh. because I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't look it up because I want to be surprised. And you don't know you, guys don't know, you don't know what I'm talking about either. That's good. So yeah, let's go ahead and say it again for the people in the back. If you are easily disturbed by spooky stuff and Where are they? <laughs> if you are easily disturbed by the spooky and dark content, then you don't need to listen to this episode. You need to go back to like a funny one, like about <laughs> when the emus attacked or or the rabbits. Yeah, you know, Napoleon and the rabbits. You need to go back to that one. So you might want to skip this one. We're gonna turn the lights off. We're gonna turn this episode about the phone lights. <laughs> we're gonna turn all the lights off, and we have no notes whatsoever. We're just gonna wing it in the dark. Here's the thing about that: it's like you guys would never know if we did. Yeah, this is audio. <laughs> <laughs> Cthulhu. <laughs> Cthulhu actually glows in the dark, so <laughs> that's a plus. Podcast by Cthulhu Live. <laughs> We could all be naked in here. You would never know. Podcast by Eldritch. That'd be real weird. <laughs> It'd be real weird, but they would never know. <laughs> anyway, dark and spooky. Anyway, dark and spooky. Uh, head first into the deep end. So Take it away. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> Love history. <laughs> I brought you frankincense. That's all I brought that you, you get. Mur- murder. Murder. <laughs> That's the whole episode. Murder. Yeah. yeah. The topic of this came out. I was really struggling of what to do. You know, we didn't want to do stuff that was already done before. Most podcasts will do Ted Bundy or Ed Gein or something weird like that. It's something that everybody knows something of. But then I come across this one YouTube star, and he was making light of the situation. And he said something about, do not look up the Junko files. 
So you looked him up anyway. So I looked him up anyway, <laughs> you know, like any good mortuary student would. And oh boy, did I. Well, I didn't really regret looking it up. Did you not expect what you saw? I did not expect what I saw and learned about. Well, there's not that many pictures out there, but. Should I look at the pictures before you continue the story? No, there's not that many pictures, like, of the actual, you know, like, actual murder scene and yeah. whatnot and all that stuff. We do not advise you to look these up, by yeah. the way. Do I'm not, just up. don't do it. There, there's not that many pictures, but there is a picture of the aftermath. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because, like, the case filed Junko Ferrada. They called it the concrete murder case of Japan. And in Japan, to this date, it's considered one of the most horrific murder scenes slash murder cases that has ever come about. And what it entails is the murder of a 16-year-old girl by the name of Junko Furuta. And she went through 44 days of hell. Is actually what the court case was called, the 44 days of hell. It all began November 22nd, 1989. Junko was a star pupil. She didn't smoke. She didn't drink. She didn't party. She didn't do any of that. She was exactly the ideal student of what you would imagine. And during this time in 1989 is when like cultural shifts was happening. So there was a lot, you know, most of the people was partying. Most of the young kids was partying and drinking and stuff. She was approached one day by a gentleman by the name of Miano. What was special about him was is he was the bad boy. He was the bully, which also had connections to the Yakuza, to the modern Yakuza. Uh, Yakuza was... The Japanese mafia, Jap- Japanese mafia. So as the story went, he approaches Junko and asks her out for a date. She turned him down. Mm. She politely said, no, which pissed the guy off. You know, because he's like... Probably wasn't used to be t- being told he no. He wasn't used to being told yeah. no. He was used to getting everything that he wanted. So on November 25th, 1988, he kidnaps Junko with three other of his partners. And they took Junko to his house. And what was so screwed up about this situation was this was his parents' house. Yeah. And so while he was doing all this torturing and doing all this awful stuff to her, the parents knew what was going on. They were there. Oh. They were there. It's just, it was one of those cases that they were scared to death of their son because he had connections to the Yakuza. Yeah. And so they didn't question him. At first, they thought uh, Junko was his girlfriend. Yeah. But then when they later started learning what was going on, Mm -hmm. they just started a blind eye to it. While they had Junko captured, they forced her to call her parents and tell them that she had run away, that she was going to stay with some friends, but insisted that she was in no danger whatsoever. And not realizing what was getting ready to come about, she was too scared to do anything. She was too scared to not be compliant with their wishes because she was terrified. So during her 44 days following her kidnapping, she was subjected to unimaginable horror. When I get into this, I'm going to try to censor most of it. Here's your mature content warning. Yeah, here's your mature content warning. Some of the things that she was subjected to, she was humiliated by being kept naked. She was raped every day in both the backside and the front side. And it was believed that she was raped by over 100 men. The captain invited all of his friends over to have a go around with a 16-year-old. But it was estimated at one time that she was raped 500 times. So they really don't know. They don't really know. Anywhere between 100 to 500 times. Good lord. At one point, they even admitted of raping her at 12 different times by 12 different men. She endured physical beatings, which included hits with golf clubs, bashing of the face against the cement floor. The hundred men who were believed to have raped her also reportedly urinating on her. 
So it was just torture and humiliation. So so torture yeah. and humiliation. She was forced to do things with herself in front of the men. She had various objects forced in her on the front and the back side, including a bottle, an iron bar, scissors, mm. roasting needles, and grilled chicken skewers. Mm. She was provided with very limited supply of food and water and was forced to eat live cockroaches and drink her own urine. She had fireworks shoved up her backside and set them off, causing severe burns. Jesus. She had her left breast ripped off. She had dumbbells dropped on her stomach while lying on the floor with her hands and feet tied up. This resulted in bowel loss. She was hung from the ceiling and used as a punching bag. She was kept in a freezer for several hours, had her eyelids burned with hot wax and lighters, had her remaining breast pierced with skewing needles, and had her female parts burned with cigarettes and lighters. She had a hot, lit bulb inserted into her front side where it exploded inside of her. Where only a quarter of a way through her torture, Junko started not being able to breathe because of the accumulation of blood in her cavities due to ongoing beatings. Her traumatized internal organs refused to accept food and water, so when she tried to drink, she instantly vomited, which kept her more dehydrated. It also agitated her captors, who punished her more for soiling the carpet. At one point, when the attackers were passed out drunk, she tried calling the police, but was caught and punished by having her feet set on fire with burning lighter fluid. Twice. Twice. All the trauma to her backside led to eternal injuries and massive bleeding. The severe leg burns and badly bruised muscles left her unable to walk after 20 days. She couldn't handle anything with her hands anymore because her bones were smashed with weights and her fingers cracked. And since it was winter, she was forced to sleep on the balcony exposed to cold temperatures. After 30 days, she could not urinate properly due to the damage to her internal organs and the insertion of the foreign objects and burned cigarettes from lighters. Her hands and feet were damaged so severely it took her over an hour to crawl downstairs to the bathroom. Her eardrums were also damaged and her brain was reduced in size due to the trauma. What ultimately led to her death was they challenged her to a Mahjong game to where she ended up winning. Oh. Pissing her captors off to no avail. And so on January 4th, 1989, they treated her to a severe beating with an iron barbell and fire by sending her legs, arms, face, and stomach after pouring lighter fluid on them. And being already severely beaten, dehydrated, malnourished, she just succumbed to shock and died. To get rid of her body, they stuffed it in a 55-gallon drum filled with concrete and disposed of in Kodo, Tokyo. Now here's the screwed up, well, I shouldn't say the screwed up part, but here's the sad thing about it. Her four captors was ultimately captured, but due to the fact that they were juveniles, they of course had all their names changed. They didn't catch them until two years after. They didn't capture, they, they tried them as juveniles until they were adults. Still, given the severity of the crimes, the census were handed out relatively low. They actually didn't even publish their names at first. They didn't even publish their names. And it because was like, they were technically juvenile. The, yeah, yeah, Japan's version of like the National Choir got a hold of, mm-hmm. got a a hold of the names and, and, they published uh, them. and published the names because the editor of the magazine was like, look, listen, these guys are assholes. Yeah. You know, their crimes need to be known. Three of the boys served less than eight years. The leader, which had the Akuza ties, was sentenced to 17 years in prison. But after his appeal... The judge bumped his sentence to 20 years instead of lowering his punishment. The same judge also increased the punishment for the two other boys who appealed. One didn't, so his sentence stayed. But either way, all four of them were out. 
at the time of this article, they were in their late 30s. Yeah. So. But needless to say, they're all alive yeah. and out of prison and facing no consequences, except for two of them, I think, they reoffended and they yeah, did go back what, to Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah, the, the leader, released in August of 1999, went back to prison in July of 2004 for seven years because he beat a guy he thought was luring his girlfriend away from him. And they boasted about it. And they boasted about wow. it, yeah. But because forensic science become a little bit more evolved over this time, uh-huh. and when they finally found Junko's body, there was evidence of other people on the corpse. So a few other people was linked to the rape and torture of Junko and was arrested. And of course, you know, being Japan, this sparked all kinds of animes and it's very ingrained in Japan's culture right now. And yeah. every every year the, the community comes together and mourns her passing. And uh, that's why it's an important case because she did not get justice. She did not whatsoever. get justice. And every single year they honor this. And it's called Justice for Junko. Well, yeah. It's, a, it's actually a foundation to hmm. Justice for Junko. That is one of the most... It's that, horrendous. That's one of the most horrendous things I've ever... Widely known as, as the, one of uh, the worst ways to die that's ever happened to a yep. person. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's considered one of the most horrible. It's called the Concrete Encased High School Girl Murder. You can actually even sign a petition to get her killer's sentence to life in prison. Great, great people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great people. It is one of the most horrendous cases that I've ever heard in my entire life. And that's saying a lot because I'm the queen of dark. (laughs) Yeah, Miss Jonestown. Albert Fish. Like, I'm the queen of dark. But (laughs) that case really disturbs me. Just the magnitude Mm -hmm. of what they did to that poor girl. Yeah. So now that I brought that dark and gloomy cloud. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to go next? (laughs) I feel like I need to drink now. Go ahead and do mine next, since mine's kind of short. Saving the best for last. (laughs) Way back in 1903, this is in the middle of Edison and Tesla's big electricity feud, you know. Edison is trying to push, you know, direct current as uh, being the leader in electricity, and he's trying every way that he can to discredit Tesla. We move over to Coney Island and the Luna Park Zoo. Topsy the Elephant has killed three handlers in the last few years, and they're going to kill the elephant. Oh. Edison finds out about this. To show the dangers of direct current, they take this elephant and they strap these wooden sandals that are laced with copper wires and strap it to its feet. When they send 6,600 volt. What? <laughs> AC charge. God. Yeah. And just to make it even better, to make sure that, you know, they didn't just piss it off, they fed it carrots laced with cyanide beforehand. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the the cyanide didn't have time to take effect. This is all on video. They actually recorded this in 1903, and you can find it. I don't recommend watching it. I don't think that I could do that. You see the elephant stiffen up, and you start seeing smoke coming from its feet. It's... Easily one of the most messed up things I've ever seen. They've got the poor thing in this like this harness to keep it from moving anyway. Then they did that. But what I also found out about all this was that Topsy isn't the only thing that Edison killed <laughs> during this time. There's countless like stray dogs and cats and horses and sheep and all kinds of stuff that he killed in his attempts to, to disprove AC. Which all ended up being faulty anyway, because that's, you know, that's Screw what we use. you, Edison. Yeah. yeah. I knew Edison was 
a dick. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just- Another thing. There were 1,500 people that watched this happen. <laughs> Actually, you know what? <laughs> That part does not surprise me. Yeah, because I mean, because like we used to love a good public execution. Yeah. That's the only part that does not surprise me about that. Yeah, this was actually. Here's the thing that really got me: the park officials they were going to hang the elephant. The SPCA wouldn't have that. But they. Look- but everybody was just like, you know what? We give everybody the electric chair that we execute nowadays. Let's do that to the elephant. So my yeah. mouth is hanging open. <laughs> When you were talking about that you were going to talk about electrocuting an elephant, I didn't know that you actually no, meant legitimately electrocute. I was like, oh, it's code name for something. No, no, no they actually electrocuted an elephant. That's the name of the video. If you want to watch it, I don't recommend I, it. N- nope. I watched it because I was doing the story, but I, I wish I had that out of my head. <laughs> yeah, the title of this episode is Things That You Can't Unknow yeah. For a Reason. Yeah, you see that. You don't forget it. You don't forget it. Not going to watch it. There's this other story that says that Topsy was the victim of her captors, not Edison. In a way, yes, I could see that, you know, she was a circus elephant. People did horrific things to circus animals for years. That's why we don't have have them now. Yeah. It's easy to see why she killed three people in the last three years, because they probably tortured her. I think one of them actually, like, fed her lit cigarettes. Yeah. It was bad. I don't blame her, but people didn't see it that way back then. And that's why we have the Animal Foundation. And why would you get excited about that? Like, oh, they're going to execute this elephant. This is my time to shine. You said that's why we have the Animal Foundation. They had it back then, too. Problem was is that they were okay with electrocuting Yeah, they were like, don't hang the elephant. Yeah, don't hang it, but you can electrocute it. I'm dumbfounded. Yeah. I'm so dumbfounded. (laughs) Yeah, things that you can't unsee. Yeah. Which is why I'm not going to watch it and why you shouldn't either. I don't think you should. I'm not going to. <laughs> I can cry in a Pop-Tart commercial if I'm so inclined. I do not need to see that. They, they can say that, you know, it was the captors and not Edison, but Edison definitely had a hand in it. <laughs> if you don't know a lot about Edison, look him up. he was He's really a not a very nice person. No, 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 no. He, he was a Just look person. at look up all of the things that he did to screw other people out of patents. Oh yeah, oh, and that's that's really all that you need to look up to really understand how much of a jerk this guy was. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, just see what he done to Tesla. Oh yeah. Well, if you actually watch the Men Who Built America, it actually tells tells a whole lot about him because you know, according to it, Edison had the big money backing him up. And, yeah. And and. Tesla didn't. Yeah. And so, you know. If you came up with something cool, he would steal it right out from underneath you and go ahead and patent it in his own name before you would have a chance to do it. Yep. And he electrocutes elephants. Yeah. And dogs. I'm boycotting. Lots of stuff. No more electricity and one more than hills. Yep. (laughs) In the deep dark. If you don't like electricity, don't fry elephants. <laughs> Did you hear that one? That was you mine. should hear it on this. No, that was mine. I felt <laughs> it. Oh, yours? oh yeah. There was there was sensation that went with it. So and they can <laughs> they can probably hear it all. If you hear my stomach, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry things not that sorry. you can't unsee. Yeah. The things that I do for <laughs> you people. <laughs> Are y'all ready for this? <laughs> so we decided on dark, spooky, weird, and all that. Good stuff, and so what's darker and spookier than exorcism? Yeah. 
exorcism that fails. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there, partner. Slow down. Yeah, we're getting there, partner. Slow, we're getting there, partner. Slow down. Slow down. So we're going to go back to 1974, and this is a case that absolutely shocked the nation, though I had never heard of it until I started doing research for this episode. It is violent and shocking and um, a little ominous. Well, very ominous. Very, so very ominous. So hope that you're prepared for this, friends. We're going to travel to Osset, which is a market town near the city of Wakefield in the English country of West Yorkshire. You gave me a very weird look just then. Oh, no, I, I was, that was my understanding look. <laughs> it was the sort of town that, kind of like we live in here, nothing ever really happens. But when it does, it is horrifying. You know, like you, you remember it for years and years. It's a town where nothing bad really ever happened until this took place. The Taylor family is who our story is about today, and they lived in Havercroft in the Osset District in 1974, and in this family, we have good old dad. He's 31, and his name is Michael Taylor. I was going to say, is that his actual name? Good old dad. Good old dad. Good old dad. Good old dad. Good old dad Taylor. (laughs) All one word. First name, good old dad, middle name, Michael Last name Taylor. (laughs) His lovely wife, Christine, and then they had five children and a dog. Woof. This family was considered cheerful and happy, happy happy-go-lucky by all of their friends and neighbors. They weren't really anything out of the ordinary. They were just regular, mild-mannered people and neighbors, and just they were generally thought of as kind and loving, and that was about it. The only thing that it really notes about Michael in his past is that he sometimes had bouts of depression. He had some depression issues. What year was this again? 74. Oh, okay. Yeah. People just thought you were crazy back then. Yeah, and like lithium was the best choice. Yeah. Well, something I can sympathize with is that he had a really bad back. So he had severe back injuries and it left him with chronic pain. And that's no fun. When you have chronic pain and you get depressed about it. I mm-hmm. totally get it because it completely affects your everyday life. It, it screws it up. But yeah. nothing else was ever noted as being amiss or weird about Michael or anybody in the Taylor family. So let's talk about Osset, which is where they lived, remember? Very high religious population. Again, very much like the tiny town that we live in where there's a church every like 30 feet down the road from each other. Yeah. Like in town alone, I can think of one, two, Three, four, five, you know, you get, you get the, you get the picture. They lived in a very religious population. Most people regularly attended church. They were not particularly devout themselves. So they really didn't go to regular church services. It was during this time that Michael's depression really got worse. Some way he got introduced to spiritual intervention. So he started Hmm. going to church, was invited by a family friend named Barbara, and she started taking him to her church group called the Christian Fellowship Group, Mm. which already sounds a little sketch. Yeah. But the Christian Fellowship Group, and their pastor or leader was a 21-year-old woman named Marie Robinson, which is even more sketch, because I don't think that you can have a Masters of Divinity at 21 years old, but... That's neither here nor there. Maybe you can, but, you know, it's neither here nor there. Marie Robinson, their pastor. She must have been doing something special. Right. So all of a sudden, Michael, who is this non-religious person, totally flips the script, and he becomes kind of fanatical and obsessed with going to this Christian fellowship group. 
He goes to every regular meeting that he can, becomes an active member of the congregation, and becomes very well acquainted, very well acquainted with Marie Robinson, the pastor. We don't know just exactly how well acquainted they were. Up close and personal. Yeah. What his family did notice is that he was spending an inappropriate amount of time with her. Like, he was at the church with Marie more than he was home, sort of deal. And Maybe he was getting closer to God? Well, maybe so. He would join her in these congregations at church where they would use the power of God to exercise people of their sins Mm -hmm. and speak in tongues. This is nothing to do with religion. We stay away from that topic. You know that I'm a good old Southern Baptist. I've talked about it a thousand times. But um, we're staying away from the religious aspect. But I will tell you that he was there all the time, and it was inappropriate. They also began to engage with each other in private rituals, which is even more private inappropriate. Private like, they would stay up all night and just make the sign of the cross at each other because they believed that it would ward off evil. Especially if it was the full moon. They would ward off the power of the full moon. That's what they did. They would do that. And ward off the power. Me and Josh are making cross signs. The evil power of the full moon. Even the rest of the congregation was like, whoa, bro, this is not normal. <laughs> whoa. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is not normal. And they were like, dude, Michael's kind of obsessed with Marie. That's how they felt. Obviously, it doesn't say that, but that's, you know, what yeah, I'm telling I mean, you. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And unsurprisingly, because of this, Michael's family's opinion of him began to change because he was no longer really ever home. And so his family noticed that he was spending less time and less time there with them. He began to become uh, very sullen, and he'd be really irritable and argumentative and just sort of not himself. It was a complete character change because he used to be so easygoing and peaceful. Mm -hmm. So they believed that something at the church was having the opposite effect on him that it should be having because he was having a complete personality flip. Aggressive paper toss. (laughs) (laughs) The aggressive paper toss. The character change was really crazy to anybody that knew this dude, but most notably on his wife, who you're as close as you can be with your spouse. And so he was a completely different dude. It was like not the same person that she married. So Christine, one day, decides to publicly confront Michael about his relationship with their pastor and accuses him openly in front of all these people of being unfaithful and cheating on her. Hmm. This did not go well. Because, as if it wasn't already bad enough, now it gets worse, right? Right. He says, he is at this moment said to have felt an evil influence cast a shadow over him. Quote, And then he was compelled to not take it out on his wife, but on the pastor. So he was like, venting angrily, on her in front of all these churchgoers at the congregation, lashing out at her verbally and physically, like abusing this pastor that he's maybe been cheating with after his wife called him out. And he says that it was an evil influence. Well, what happens next? Well, let me tell you. It was like religious mania. Well, this is what Marie says. Quote, I suddenly glanced at Mock and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me, and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me, and I just started saying it over and over again, Jesus. 
When Christine heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too, and I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. So he beats the pastor half to death, Mm -hmm. and then she's like, it's demons, it's all cool, don't worry about it. Pretty much what happened. He says he has no memory of this event, by the way. But it happened, even though Marie sort of is like, it's okay, bro, don't worry about the fact that you just half beat me to death in church. The rest of the congregation is like, oh, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just that, really? (laughs) As you would. But they still cared about him because, you know, (laughs) they still cared about him because he was their brother. But they were like, okay, well, something's a little strange going on here, right? Well, his character soon began to get worse. He deteriorated even more. His behavior was totally out of the ordinary, and it was like permanent. Like, there was no glimpse of the other Michael. He was a totally different human being. It became so bad that several local ministers became involved with it, and they were like, oh, bro, he's possessed. It's pretty much the general consensus. They came to the conclusion that he needed an exorcism ASAP. So two ministers... Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith were brought in to carry out this exorcism. They were going to make it happen on midnight, the 5th of October, 1974, at St. Thames Church in Barnsley. So they gather the congregation, as you do during an exorcism. Right. <laughs> and uh, all of the Christian Fellowship Group were there. And the two ministers began this horrifying, many, many hours long ritualistic exorcism on Michael. It lasted throughout the entire night and well into the next morning. As soon as the exorcism rites started, Michael went into uncontrollable convulsions and fits. He had bouts of scratching, spitting, biting, and was eventually required to be tied down to the floor forcefully. So the exorcism lasted eight hours, and he was subjected to all sorts of things like having crucifixes shoved into his mouth, as one does and being doused with a whole lot of holy water. And throughout the entire time, he was like growling and snapping and trying to hurt physically anybody that came near him. I mean, somebody tied me down and tried to shove across my mouth. I probably would too. (laughs) I mean, same. (laughs) But the priests in charge of the exorcism were like, well, he's got about 40 demons in there. That's what we think. There's probably 40. 40. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we think. There's There's at least 12, but I think there's 40. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's at least 40 demons. And it was like the demons just counted off. When they got exercised, they were like, one. (laughs) They didn't just do that. They told what they were for. Oh, hell, they got me, guys. They were like, like, one, incest. Two, bestiality. Three, blasphemy. Yeah. Lewdness, heresy, masochism, and carnal knowledge. Because the demons are only capable of one. (laughs) Yeah. Indeed. As you can imagine, they did not go quietly into that good night. Those demons, they done put up a fight. And reportedly, they were dragged out of Michael kicking and screaming. Eight hours of this happened. And by 8 a.m. on October 6, 74, the priests that were carrying out the exorcism, this blows my mind, the priests that were carrying out the exorcism were like, well, we're tired, we can't go on anymore, but there's still some in there. (laughs) I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. This was not meant to be a funny story, and it's really not because it gets so bad, but like, that's what they did. They were like, yeah. there's there's at least a couple more in there, and we cannot do it right now. We are too tired. So they were which, like, which we will big, continue. Which is, a, which is a big no-no. Yeah, they I mean, were like, like, we will yeah. continue this at a later time. Go home and rest, uh, Michael. They if claimed you've ever, that... ever watched an exorcism movie, you'd know that's, that's not good. Here's that's... what's even better. They were like, and we know which ones they are. They're insanity, anger, and murder. 
Oh, nice. Go home with your wife and kids. Don't worry about it. Cool. They were... That's like telling Charles Manson, hey, we'll fin- we'll finish all this up tomorrow. You go home with whoever. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We're it's, it's cool. We're cool here. Yeah. So, the congregation that were all present for the exorcism supposedly witnessed all of this, and... A minister's wife named Margaret Smith later claimed that she had received a warning in her mind at that moment when they decided to quit from what she believed to be God, who she believed to be to be God, saying that the demon of murder was going to escape from Michael and kill Christine. So she pleaded with the two priests, you need to complete this exorcism. Please don't stop right now. We can't stop right now. But they were like, no, it's okay. We're really tired. And they left anyway. And let Michael go home with Christine to rest and prepare for the final part of the exorcism, which was to be performed the next day. They gave him a break. They really did. Now, thankfully, his children were not home. Let me just say, Mm -hmm. children were not home. What happens next is pretty horrifying. At 9.45 the next morning, which is October 7th, maybe two hours after they sent Michael home to rest, they sent them home to rest two hours later, the police were patrolling the area, and they come around the corner, and the officer, whose name is Ian Walker, sees this man stumbling in the middle of the street like he's just drunk, totally naked and completely drenched in blood. Head to toe. Like, slick with it. So he stops the car, and he goes out and approaches the man, who immediately curls into a fetal position, and starts screaming, it is the blood of Satan, over and over again. It is the blood of Satan. Obviously, this attracted a crowd. As it should. Yeah. Yeah. And some folks that were there were like, oh, it's Michael Taylor. So they knew who he was. The police approached him and called for an ambulance. They thought that he had hurt himself. It was not his blood. So he was still screaming, ranting, raving, senseless, violent. All the good stuff. They carted him away in the ambulance. And then they were like, you know, this is Michael Taylor. Here's where he lives. Here's his address. And the police show up to the Taylor house completely unprepared for what they are about to see. Officer Walker says that he approached the house and the chief inspector was coming out of the front door vomiting. Oh. And he told him, you don't get to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no... He's ripped at her, son. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it, eh? But he felt like he had to go in anyway, so he did. Oh. The interior of the room was completely destroyed. There were signs of destruction absolutely everywhere. And there was blood on every surface of the room that there could be blood on. And also flesh. And also pulp. And also brain matter. So it's important to notice that she said flesh. Yeah. Yes. Was splattered on the wall. And the floor and everywhere. Mm. So they found the bodies of Christine Taylor and the family dog. And they're completely unrecognizable. So all of the blood that was on Michael came from either Christine or the dog. He had killed them at about 9.30 that morning. It was a brutal, deranged attack, okay? He had stripped off his clothes and then strangled her. And then literally tore her face off with his bare hands. Dang. There was no murder weapon. It did not exist. No murder weapon whatsoever. But he gouged out her eyes and ripped out her tongue with his bare hands. And then he tore the rest of her face totally down to the bone to where she had no face. She was completely unrecognizable. 
She died of shock and asphyxiation on her own blood, which is merciful, because it would have been completely horrendous otherwise. Then he turned his attention to the dog. He strangled it and literally ripped it limb from limb. He tore its legs from its sockets. Oh my god. And tore all of its hair and teeth and eyes from the skull. He then left the house screaming about it being the blood of Satan, and then ran into a police officer a short while later. And here we are at the discovery of the crime scene. Anybody that saw it said it was the most horrific scene they had ever been at in their careers. They took Michael into police custody, and then they interviewed him to see if he would explain what had happened. He said, It was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with the evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. Couldn't get rid of it, and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. Then they were like, but this is your wife. How could you possibly do this to this woman that you claim to love so much even now? And he said, released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. So he had no motive. There was no motive, really, that they could detect other than maybe he was hooking up with Pastor. We don't really know. But they charged him with murder. Uh, the murder of Christine, and he was sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital in Berkshire to await trial. Well, he stayed mostly completely silent, or he slept the entire time. It was like his brain wanted to disassociate that it had actually happened. Which I get, I mean, hmm. if I did something that horrendous. Right. Yeah. The trial for the murder began in March of 1975, and the jury were advised by the barrister, like, y'all need to buckle up. Because this is going to be one of the worst things that you have ever witnessed, seen, whatever. He did not deny killing Christine. The linchpin in the defense was that he was sort of brainwashed by this Christian fellowship group who they likened to a cult. Okay, They also blamed the murder on the actual exorcism itself. That it was so harrowing and so much of a trial for Michael that he completely disassociated and snapped. And that was all that it took and then he went on a murderous rampage and killed his wife. The lawyer for the defense was Mr. Ognall. He quoted, I am aware that it is generally regarded as improper for an advocate to express any personal feeling or opinion about the case in which he is engaged. I'm afraid I will find it quite impossible to observe such constraints in this case. Let those who truly are responsible for this killing stand up. We submit that Taylor is a mere cipher. The real guilt lies elsewhere. Religion is the key. Those who have been referred to in evidence, and those clerics in particular, should be with him in spirit now in this building, and each day he is incarcerated in Broadmoor, and not least on the day he must endure the bitter reunion with his five motherless children. They pretty much blamed everything on the exorcism and the church itself, and the jury found Michael Taylor not guilty. Oh. By reason of insanity. He was seen as clinically and legally insane. <laughs> and sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital, where he would remain for two years, followed by another two years at Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released back into the world, apparently cured. You got two more pages of notes there. That ain't the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's told that when he was released from the hospital, he went back to live in Osset. If you were his neighbor, how you could look at him, knowing what had happened. Yeah. And his... 
children, which is even worse. Every town has that, you know, that guy that walks up and down the roads and everybody's just like, listen, don't look at him or he'll kill you. Right. Everybody's got that. Uh, feel like he's that guy in that town. And he, it's not like he didn't suffer from it, too, because he, he tried to kill himself, I think. Four times? Four times. He cut his wrist. He jumped off of a bridge. He dropped out of the news for a long, long time until July 2005 when he was arrested for sexually harassing and having inappropriate conduct with an underage girl. He's just a great guy all the way around. Mm-hmm. The court, upon hearing... I didn't get all the demons. <laughs> yeah. I get them demons. <laughs> During his court hearing on these charges, he was said to have told police that it was all his fault and then said, Am I going to Broadmoor for murdering my wife? It's like the man had a completely psychotic break. He spent a week in custody over the sexual assaults. And during this incarceration, the psychiatric problems that had already existed in 1975 once again manifested themselves. So he got a little bit of a reprieve, but it all came it all came back. Those demons still be up in there. He was bailed. <laughs> It'd be demons up in here. Demons up in here. He was bailed, and the previous case had absolutely no bearing on his sexual assault charge. It led eventually to a three-year stint of community service, but upon condition of having psychiatric treatment. And that's pretty much the entire story of what happened, except for, like, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Should he have been tried for murder of his wife? Is it a coincidence uh, that they did this severe eight-hour exorcism on him, and then he killed her two hours later? Well, like... You know, and this has nothing he, to do with whether you believe that demonic possession is a thing. It's just, right. should he have been held accountable for no, that? No, I don't like 100% he shouldn't have been held accountable because, you know, it's the same way with the exorcism of Emily Rose. Same exact mm-hmm. thing. Yep. You know, even Ed Warren talks about it because, you know, the new Conjuring movie is coming out. The devil made me do it. Actually, I think that guy was found guilty, but it was reasons of insanity. You don't mess with stuff like that. You don't go into your home. And take your bare hands and rip somebody's right. face off. Mm-mm. If you just want to kill somebody out of convenience, out of yeah. convenience, right? That is maybe not deeply personal, but it's it's deeply disturbed, right? But what he did to her and the dog, yeah. But you know, I can't speak for him, but I can speak for myself. Like Ty said, if I was forced to be strapped down for seven hours with crosses hours. being. Sh- Shoved in my mouth, and, and I'd, I'd probably get a little hostile. I'd probably, you know, that would have to cause some mental disturbance. And then for them yeah. to be like, "You're still screwed up, but you can go ahead and go. And right. We'll come back and finish it tomorrow." And yeah. so, that's great. Eight more hours. Right, eight yeah. more hours tomorrow. And so you have people that you're supposed to trust saying, "You're screwed up, man. Come back and we'll do it again. We'll fix you tomorrow. We'll fix you, we'll tomorrow. Fix you tomorrow." And blankly, there's one soul in you <clears throat> that's called murder. So exactly. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very messed up case. Right. Yeah. I just can't get over the brutality. He ripped her apart to the point where there was brain matter on the floor, but he had no weapon. That's almost paranormal to me. That is almost paranormal. It is. I know you can probably do that. Please don't. I know that it's probably (laughs) possible, but that is beyond anything that I've ever heard. Turned into a literal meat tornado. Yeah. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound. You know, if he was already mentally disturbed, there was no way of proving it after the fact. But you put somebody under that amount of stress for that many hours, right? Turn them loose to their own devices, knowing that it's going to happen to them again the next day. Yeah, 
They're going to crack a little bit. They're going to yeah. crack a little bit. It's horrendous. And you know, the worst part about it is his children know yeah. what happened. Yeah. Because this has been in the media before. His children know what happened to their mother. And mm-hmm. like, could you forgive your father after this happened? I don't, I don't know. This story is tough. Y'all asked for dark and spooky. You got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Hopefully we delivered. Right. I'm still going to retain my imaginary title of Dark Queen. So that's me, Dark Queen, Dark Queen Tessa. We would love to hear from you and know what kind of topics that you want to hear in the future. Maybe even see in the future if we get YouTube up and running. So we're excited about that possibility. You don't want to see my ugly face. No, it'll just be like a static picture. Or my bald head. It'll be a static picture of all of it, because I am not putting on makeup for y'all. <laughs> no, thank you. No, we get lots and everything set up, and we just point one directly at my forehead. And then it just blinds the camera. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's perfect. So let us know what you want us to talk about. We love it when you reach out to us on social media or email, which is historybyidiots at gmail.com. Thank you to those folks that have reached out to us in the last couple of weeks on email and on Facebook Messenger to hang out and have some good conversations with us. We appreciate each other. We know who you are. I've still got some swag that I have to send out to our Patreon people. I swear one of these days I'll get a laugh and make that happen very soon. Just know that we appreciate each of you. And that's all that I got. Y'all got anything you want to add? We appreciate it, except for you. Except for you. Except for you. We don't appreciate you. You got to figure out which one of you it is. (laughs) We don't appreciate you very much. (laughs) With that being said, we'll go ahead and bring it to a close the way that we always do, but maybe we should say it's spooky. Love history. Love your library. (laughs) And love yourself. Not spooky enough. (laughs) 